Hi, everybody. We are going to have a fabulous show today. Why? Because we're going to talk about the entertainment industry, and that's something all of us are involved in because we watch and are entertained in various media. It's changed. The pandemic has changed it probably forever. And today we're going to focus on two specific areas of entertainment, and that is filmed entertainment and live entertainment. We are so lucky to be joined by two of our exceptional women awardees. We have Lucienne Papon. She is the executive vice president of ITV Studios America. She's a longtime executive in the entertainment industry and also a producer. And she is currently building the scripted television studio for her London-based company here in the U.S. It is an amazing undertaking, and we're going to learn all about film and television from Lucien Papon. In addition, we have Alma Derricks. Alma is the founder and managing director of Rev, and Rev is a consultancy that was created to do business branded extensions. We're going to learn more about what that's all about. Well, Alma has an amazing background. She was formerly a strategy partner at the Deloitte firm practice in television, media, and also telecommunications. And before that, she was the chief marketing officer at Cirque du Soleil. Yes, one of our favorite places in the resident shows division. I think that was actually after Deloitte. The fact is that Alma is an amazing executive and she has a lot to tell us about live entertainment, concerts, all of those amazing shows that we miss every single day. I'm Lorraine Siegel. I'm the founder, chair, and CEO of the Exceptional Women Awardees Foundation. We are a foundation that enables high-level, high-potential women to reach for their dreams. We make successful women like Alma and Lucien even more successful. Why did we start this foundation? Well, I never had a mentor during my early career as a lawyer and then an entrepreneur and CEO of a number of companies, even as a board director. I never had a coach, and I wanted to be sure that women who walked the road less traveled like I have would always be surrounded by a network of outstanding, exceptional women leaders who would support and advise them for the rest of their lives. And that's what we do at EWA. We actually mentor you for the rest of your life. And so let's get to our amazing guest today. Let's go first to Lucien. Lucien, after the, over the last year or so, it has been a remarkable change. And what has your company done to manage through the pandemic? Absolutely, Lorraine. People watched a lot of television in 2020 and the competition for audience eyeballs has never been more intense. But it was a really challenging year. Uh, movie theaters were closed. All production, except for news coverage, was shut down. For my company alone, that was hundreds of shows. Ancillary revenue streams like Disneyland and Disney Cruises were shuttered. And even merchandising was affected because of global supply chains. So filmed entertainment, at least on the content creation side where I sit, it's actually a lot like many other product-related businesses. To produce scripted television, for example, we have a pipeline, which includes research and development, that's the writing and idea stage, packaging, which might include financing and building a creative team, physical production, the actual making of the show, and then post-production delivery, marketing distribution. So while demand was intense, 
and the platforms and channels that we produced for were desperate for new content, ultimately we, like every industry, had to do whatever it takes to keep our talent and the cast and crew that we work with safe. Uh, so we did manage, along with public health officials, union officials, and many more, to support a return to production, uh, but certainly at a premium cost. So. Demand is voracious, but the challenges of making content are harder than ever. So Lucien, uh, what happened? Was just during the pandemic or was there already a shift happening in the way we receive our entertainment before the pandemic? Absolutely. So this battle between the legacy media companies and the tech companies, it was accelerated by the pandemic, but it's been brewing for years. So that has led to mergers like Disney and Fox, CBS Viacom, uh, the AT&T acquisition of Warner Media. So each of these companies are hoping that size will allow them to more easily compete with the likes of Netflix, Apple, Amazon. So all of us as viewers are experiencing this transformation at home with the rise of streaming video, competing for our monthly subscriptions. So now there's SVOD, streaming video on demand, AVOD, advertising video on demand, TVOD, <laughs> not to mention competitors like the gaming business and specialty services like Crunchyroll, which is a particular interest to my sons who love Japanese anime. So how we watch and what we watch is rapidly transforming as the entertainment business begins to fully embrace this direct-to-consumer model. So the old model was built by advertiser dollars, but you probably have noticed right now you're probably more likely to run into an advertisement scrolling on your phone on TikTok or Instagram than you are while watching your favorite show on your television. So it's, it's pretty exciting as long as you're not bowled over by this train rolling over in your direction. Alma, let's go to you. <laughs> it, it is so sad that we have not been able to go to live events. And is there any part of the live event world that hasn't been affected by the pandemic? And what have you done for this past year for the live event industry? Yeah, you know, there's nothing that hasn't been touched, Lorraine, absolutely nothing. Everything that makes live events so special and makes them things that we covet, uh, being together in sold out houses, um, singing, shouting, dancing in the aisles, whatever it is you like to do at, at live events, it's all been shut down and it's all contrary to everything that we need to do to stay safe. So it's been, a, you know, it, it's been a year that's um, been, everything's ground to a halt ultimately because of it. There aren't very many good fallback versions of the same content to put it on film um, is not quite the same thing. But I will say that it has been really exciting to see some of the, the creative things that have come out of this year. Um, different ways to reach audiences, different concerts and different venues. You know, artists want to create, musicians want to play music. And so they, they find a way, life finds a way, art and music find a way. So it's been exciting to have access to some of those things, to have access to, to events and, and shows that are around the country, around the world, even if you're interested. And it's allowed people a little peek inside and hopefully some of those things will actually stick around 
afterwards. Um, the good news is, is that we're seeing a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, everything from the Hollywood Bowl on, in, on the West Coast to, you know, for, for our viewers in New York, um, there is good news about Shakespeare in the Park, hopefully. Uh, things are still pretty much a moving target, but we may have some sort of a summer and be able to, uh, to enjoy ourselves a little bit more this time around. Certainly better than where we were last year. Well, as a subscriber to the Hollywood Bowl, I certainly hope you're right, and I'm so excited to hear that. But Alma, you are—you have been involved with the American Ballet Theater. Am I right with that? Or you've had a lot of exposure to many live entertainment areas. They actually did some sort of shows on Zoom, I guess it was, or on television. Uh, what do you can, t can you tell us about those adaptations that happened during the pandemic? Sure, ABT did something that was really unique, which is bring together a number of their um, studio company dancers, some of their younger dancers into a bubble. So just like the NBA did to, to maintain a season last year, they did a dancer bubble. And so they went upstate and they actually created new work. They commissioned and created new work. They put together um, things from the repertoire and had a full gala this summer and had new premieres of new work. And you, could, you can't even imagine, I've, I've seen a lot of the footage from behind the scenes some of the dancers footage and things you can't imagine the joy at being back in the studio and back on stage and moving again so the work was phenomenal and inspired so i think that's actually been um, again kind of an interesting part of this to watch uh, watch the adaptation and hopefully this time next year we'll still have access to some of these kinds of things even once the ticketed shows are back online yeah, you know, it's uh, music is for your soul. It's not just for your ears. It, it's for your soul. And I think it's such a big part. Music and theater and ballet is such a big part of the human dimension that to be without that in any form would have been a devastating loss in addition to all the other losses that people have suffered this year. So it has okay. been amazingly uplifting, hasn't it, Alma? How creative people will find a way. Oh, I mean, it's you can't stop them, right? You can't you can't shut them down. I mean, I think in the case of a of a show like Cirque, unfortunately, you've got big equipment, you've got big um, theaters. It's a lot harder to practice your art, but for um, musicians and singer songwriters, even symphonies um, have found ways to pull things together. Even when they pulled it together on Zoom, I think we've all seen a few of those where you've got symphony members, 25 symphony members in different locations all playing at home and having that edited back together again. So, you know, we found a way to fill that hole in our heart. I feel the same hole that you do, Lorraine. Um, but, you know, it's, it's coming. And again, hopefully we'll have a chance to, uh, to continue to do some of those virtual connecting things in the middle while we're also reaching out for, for live events again. Yes, absolutely. So, Lucien, you're on the content side. Has content changed? Does people want more content that sort of cheers them up? Or have you seen a change in that over the last year? Absolutely. I mean, we all of us are human and we need wish fulfillment and we love for a story to transport us to Paris or London or anywhere that we are unable to travel right now. Uh, so those types of projects uh, have been doing very, very well, which is fantastic for my company because we have an extensive library and also drama producers in scripted and non-scripted all over the world. Uh, but I think for us now in this moment, I think we are turning away certainly from darker fare, uh, but the spectacle is here to stay. 
Yeah, you know, Lucien, you're part of a global company. Tell us a little bit about ITV because uh, in America, people know about ITV Studios America, but not necessarily uh, as the Brits do. What ITV means globally, it's it's humongous, very yeah, large. Absolutely, absolutely. ITV uh, is the largest public broadcaster in Europe. We sometimes talk about it as the CBS of Europe. So if you are European, you absolutely have encountered ITV, the name, the distributor, the content uh, here. And also, I should say, most important in the last year, ITV is also a news service like BBC News. And some of our news reporters were absolutely critical in helping us all understand what was happening as this virus moved across the globe. So that is a piece of our business. It's the broadcast business. But the piece that I've been involved in is the content side, the growth of drama productions and producers around the world. My business is US content for US buyers. But many of our buyers now are global buyers. And uh, in that effort, we have been growing the US market uh, to create global franchises, projects that can then work for audiences all over the world. And then we also have the privilege of working with our drama producers all around the world to come up with co-productions, to be introduced to global talent, to access amazing global IP. And uh, that is just a piece of the global reach of ITV. What an amazing opportunity, Lucienne, to be part of a company that literally impacts the world uh, with the entertainment that was uh, the lifeline for many of us during this last year. So the fact that you're not only just still standing, but you're growing the, the uh, franchise, the enterprise, congratulations. I think that's fabulous. Good for you. Let's move to Alma for a moment. There is something that you did at Cirque du Soleil, which just got my fancy, and I want you to talk about it. It was something to do with executive education. Could you give us a few beats on that? I thought it was so creative. Sure, sure. So this is the branded business center, uh, extensions piece of what I like to do uh, that I've done everywhere I've been, every company that I've worked for. Um, this is about taking the core assets of the brand, the audience, the trust that you've built. A great example, even though it's not one of mine, is Lego going into the theme park business and building Legoland. Um, how do you leverage the things that you already have as assets and the energy that you already have and build entirely new divisions? So at CERC, the thing that uh, you mentioned, Lorraine, is we took um, our theaters during daytime hours, which were usually idle or just being used for rehearsals and things, and created an executive education program. So, um, you know, to be fair, it wasn't the hardest sell in the world to ask uh, a Microsoft or a, um, a Google or a MasterCard, how would you like to come to Las Vegas? How would you like to come into these theaters during off hours, meet with the cast, the crew, the executives from Cirque, and we would custom create programs for them, executive education programs, everything from customer service um, to uh, you know operations excellence and things like that, things that we know a little bit about. So for us, it was a great opportunity to not only create a new line of business, but also to emphasize in an audacious sort of way that there are business lessons you could actually learn from a bunch of circus people. People. And so we ran that for, again, the uptake was, was almost immediate and it was a lot of fun also for the performers to start to get some experience in another part of the business. This is outside of the bounds of their typical performance day, but they loved it. Um, it wasn't something that they thought was a chore. They thought it was really exciting and they really appreciated being asked the questions about why they do the things that they do and how they do them. Um, we had great audiences and great um, executive participants from all over the world. 
Uh, so it was a really fun, fun project. That's amazing. You know, one of our EWAs the other day told me she wanted to go to space camp. I want to go to search with the low camp. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> But Alma, back to you for a moment. You know what those amazing dancers and acrobats do at Cirque du Soleil? I would imagine they have a short limit to the lifetime of their ability to do that. And, and <laughs> then they have to find jobs after that. So would that be something that this executive education program actually enabled them to think about? Absolutely. Some of them got very, very excited about being trainers or doing other things like this. And and the lifespan really depends. I think probably one of the shortest lifespans is being a contortionist. As you might imagine, being able to, to twist your body up that way doesn't last very long uh, in terms of age. But we had performers in you know strongman roles and, and sort of the bottom of pyramids that were nearly 50. So you've got a, a, a variety of... Uh, a variety of skill sets and a variety of ages in some ways. But I think you're absolutely right. This was another extension to help them think about life after CERC, to think about in addition to choreography and show management and those sorts of things, but to start to expand into these other areas that we got great, great feedback from, from the company. They really were a joy to work with. Now I can imagine I would too. Um, Lucina, I want to go back to you because your journey to get to where you are today as such a successful executive didn't start in this industry. Could you share with us a little bit about your journey? Absolutely. Uh, I came to LA because I didn't want to be an investment banker. <laughs> I wanted to wear jeans to work and uh, I had fallen in love with the movies. And at that time, movies were the be all and end all of entertainment. Television had not grown into the business that it is today. And at the time I had an opportunity to come and work with talent-based production companies. I wanted to be as close to the process of actually making films as I could. And I had a wonderful run working in talent-based production companies on films and was working my way up to be a film producer. Uh, and then I took a turn. It seemed as though the business was shifting into television uh, and I had a real passion for scripted television. And I had always been doing development and production uh, in film and television. And when I came to ITV Studios, it was a real opportunity to combine my producer skills, uh, which have a lot to do with being scrappy and building projects from scratch and wearing a million hats in a day and jumping from department to department uh, in what was at the time a new startup division uh, that they're building from relative scratch here in the US. Uh, and that has been my journey for the last six years. Amazing. You know, uh, Lucien, I know that you're an athlete and a really good one and always have been. And I know that you, I believe you were in the rowing team in college. So what can you draw from that discipline to the rest of your life? Uh, I, I think everything. Um, I grew up a team athlete. I always have been. I think that discipline and uh, focus is supportive of any business that you might want to be in. Uh, I learned a lot about um, overcoming my own perceived limitations, about goal setting, about breaking through your own barriers. Uh, I think that sports is so mental. I ran a, have only run one marathon in my life, but I would say that that event is 90% mental and 10% physical. 
So I think there are so many things that sports and continuing to be an athlete have done to serve me in my life. And my experience of team building and my love of collaborating and working with various people toward a shared goal is part of my work every day. And uh, frankly, as a working mother, a parent of two young boys in work from home in a pandemic, exercise certainly has been necessary for my mental health, <laughs> for maintaining my marriage, for uh, keeping me focused and uh, able to have a little bit of fun at work during the day. So uh, it's all hand in hand. It's a part of who I am and uh, here to stay, I think. I think you are uh, just an example of what all of us try to do and that be uh, be those many roles and do them well. So Alma, a little bit about your background, I know which is amazing and unique. Give us your journey. Yeah, sure. So I've, as you mentioned, I've worked across a number of different parts of media and entertainment, started my career at HBO and at NBC, and then in the 90s took a turn completely toward digital media. So back in those days, brand extensions for me were building, um, if you know the Dilbert comic strip, building out that whole um, online uh, experience for Dilbert, the e-commerce piece, the advertising piece, it was all completely new in 1995. That was my first uh, major site and then got recruited to Paramount to do the same thing for Star Trek and for Entertainment Tonight uh, and brands that at that point had still not been out on the open web. So this idea of uh, of boldly going with these brands has been something I've been doing for a while. And then from there, um, you know, that's when I, I took a turn eventually and was recruited into, into Deloitte and sort of stepped into the advisory side of things, um, coming out of the, the internet boom and bust in the 2000s, kind of going back to traditional media and working for all sorts of companies in that space, even in hospitality and consumer products as well. So everyone from um, Mattel and Southwest Airlines to Verizon and Paramount and Fox were some of my clients there too. And even Blue Man Group, um, a company I still work with as a client now as an independent consultant. So that's been fun. So it's been a ride where, you know, I've definitely stayed close to these brands. I've, I've relished all the time that I've had to work with, with li uh, you know, living creators. It's been one of the most exhilarating parts of this to help take these brands and properties into new spaces is something that I really have enjoyed and really seems to be a through line for what I'm doing. So getting to Cirque and starting to build out the executive education program is, uh, is kind of part and parcel of the things I've done for years. Amazing, amazing. And I know that uh, Alma and I both serve on the board of the Grazia Dio Business School at Pepperdine, so we enjoy uh, mentoring young people into their futures, hopefully happy ones. Wow, from Dilbert to the Star Trekkies, that's pretty amazing, Alma. <laughs> um, our producer's in my ear telling me that we, we have some questions, so put them up and, and let's see uh, what our wonderful listeners are saying. From Katia, in San Jose, Lucien, this is for you. After the pandemic, will we still get to watch first-run movies at home on the same day that they release? release in theaters. What do you think, Lucien? I hope so. Uh, I do. As a parent, uh, I love the idea of being able to choose whether we as a family are going to sit down to watch the latest brilliant uh, family film together here or in a theater. It's, it's tricky. It's upending all of the business models and financial models, everything from talent participation to revenue from distribution as companies hold back their movies to use as carrots to get people excited about subscribing to their new streaming services. It's a very complicated math. 
to try to figure out where, how people and companies are going to balance these new revenue streams. So I hope so, uh, certainly as a consumer. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Alma, let me ask you, do you think everybody's going to hightail it off to the next open concert where they can sit in the audience and enjoy live entertainment? Is, is that your instinct or do you think people are going to be a bit hesitant? You know, I, I, I wish they would be a little more hesitant, quite frankly, in some ways, but I do think there's going to be a boom. I think we're all just sick and tired of our four walls, and I think there will be a move very, very quickly to get out and starting to to just re-experience content again. It, it has to happen. And I think in the early days, you'll start to see um, uh, limitations on the, on the size of audiences. You may have capacity limitations and things like that to get started. So I think the venues themselves will probably temper it a little bit, but even, uh, you know, sporting events are all sold out as they've started to come online with limited seating and things like that. So I think there's so much pent-up demand, Lorraine. I, you know, if it's, you know, even anecdotally, and I think you'd agree that the minute you can get your hands on some concert tickets, you'll be, you'll be out there. Maybe we'll still be masked up a little yeah. bit for a while longer, but I think it'll be... Yeah. No, I'm there. I am totally there. Yeah. We, have a, we have a LinkedIn uh, question from one of our viewers, which I'm delighted about. Uh, how are actors feeling about the new normal with movie releases? Oh, my. Okay. Lucien, why don't you try that one? Yes. <laughs> well, it's a tricky one. People, performers want to connect with an audience, and they want the, what they make in these stories to be shared and told around the world. Uh, and again, we're all trying to figure out what that looks like in this new normal. Um, so I think that actors mostly are excited about the possibility to connect with an audience, but certainly everyone is concerned about revenue streams and how that impacts them directly in their pocketbook. So we all share uh, the concerns of growing a healthy business uh, that has an opportunity to use storytelling for good around the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, I saw a question come in, if we can just put it up about scripted television. Uh, and I think that this is, uh, thank you to the viewers, by the way, and I'm sorry to those we're not going to get to, but from Susan in San Diego, this is for you, Lucy, and for those of us who are uninitiated in the industry, what is scripted television and are there any trends? I think we answered the last part of that, but the first part, what is scripted television? Sure. Uh, we When we talk about scripted television, we mean drama and comedy. We mean scripted live action storytelling uh, and that's the business that I'm focused on right now. So we are buyers and sellers of content. We are looking for ideas from anywhere, whether it is books or IP, original screenplays, international movies, international shows, and we're adapting them into the US market for all of the buyers uh, that you now subscribe to on your television. So that is the business that I am focused on. Um, but, you know, I think as far as trends, we could just as surely ask our audience what it is that they're watching because they are driving the voracious appetite for scripted content, certainly. I think that uh, series, television series, have become so popular that people are totally addicted. If I just talk for myself, <laughs> that's certainly that is something that I do a lot of. So, Alma, when, when you're thinking about all the amazing things you've done in your life, could you just give us a little bit more on the Dilbert situation? Because that's such an icon <laughs> in our lives on a daily basis in every, every newspaper in the world. What did you do for the Dilbert idea? 
Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Dilbert is still one of my favorite projects. Don't tell any of my other clients or any of my other companies, but building out Dilbert was one of my favorite things. Um, in short, I got an assignment in 1994 to figure out the connection between this newfangled internet thing and Dilbert. And from, you know, in very short order, we built a website out on the wild, wild west of the web. We had um, an, inter an international audience of 50,000 people right away because having a comic strip was magical back then, you know, on a, on a, in a medium that had been all text driven. Um, so we very quickly were able to move into creating a line of merchandise that sold out in, um, goodness, we had 19 countries, I think, and we sold out in a couple of weeks of Dilbert plush and uh, t-shirts and button-down shirts and things like that. We also had a full advertising program. As it turned out, the, the most lucrative advertising market that we had was to other big tech companies. So Microsoft and IBM all advertised with us because Dilbert reached every tech worker on the planet every day for about five minutes over coffee. So it was still phenomenal. There were so many unanswered questions back then and it was a lot of fun to just sort of dive in head first. And it's wonderful to be able to make fun of ourselves. And that's what Dilbert did, which is really remarkable. You know, um, to the audience now, I, I do want you to just share with me how excited I feel when we can show these amazing women leaders in their industry and share their expertise with you. And I wish we had another hour with them and hopefully they'll come back and share some of their expertise with us because this industry is at a crossroads and it is not going to stop changing. So my grateful thanks to you, Alma Derricks and Lucien Papon. You are both spectacular, exceptional women awardees. We're so proud to have you as part of our network and so excited to be able to show your expertise to the world this evening. So we have another wonderful show coming up, which is going to feature Elizabeth Stevenson. Elizabeth is formerly president of Fiji Water, which is something most of you probably know about. She is presently a partner um, and managing director at Alex Partners, and she was formerly a McKinsey partner. So she has a lot of experience in the food and beverage industry. In addition, we have uh, Tabassum Zalatrawala, who is the chief development officer at Chipotle Foods. And she was formerly the chief development officer at Panda restaurants. So she is another expert in the food industry and she sits on the board of Diamond Rock Hospitality, which is a public company. Both of these women are exceptional women awardees, EWAs as we call them, and they're going to share their insights on the food and beverage industry with you on May 11th. Please join us. And I have a question for you before we leave today, and that is, how soon will you be ready to go to a movie in a theater or a live event? Please send me your answer. My email is coming up on the screen now. I hope you join us for our next show. Thank you for being with us today. Apologies to those whose questions we didn't get to. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you.